This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to NBC Sports Radio. Sports Radio. Weekends. This is the Two Robbies Football Show. Your number one source for Premier League football on NBC Sports Radio. Now, your hosts, Robbie Musto and Robbie Earl. Welcome to the Two Robbies Football Show on NBC Sports Radio, where we discuss all the headlines, all the big stories from the best league in the world. Now, this is a special edition of the show where you get just one Robbie, that's me, and instead of my old buddy, I'm joined by our team of producers who basically think they can do a better job than Musty, which I probably agree on. So, it's kind of like a one-week transfer so I've got Joel Cal- Calhoun, Mike Dobbs and Jorge Bustamante joining me today. And we're going to start things off at the Etihad uh, with Manchester City having lost last week to Chelsea. A lot of eyes, a lot of attention was on, on Manchester City. People thinking, well, are we going to see a little bump in the road? Might they just be derailed by um, teams now thinking that they've lost a little bit of their invincibility? And Liverpool sitting top of the table, they were, for once, Manchester City chasing rather than being the chase. But a 3-1 win was enough to get all three points and send them back to the table. And a particularly, I thought, important day for Gabriel Jesus, who got a couple of goals. And for his confidence, if nothing else, first goals, I think, in four months in the Premier League, uh, to get two on a day when Aguero was back on the bench, obviously coming back to fitness, Kevin De Bruyne back on the bench, coming to fitness, uh, was an important day for him. How did you see, uh, Jen, I'll start with you. How did, how did you see the City performance today? I think you kind of expected them to just come back just ready to go, and mm. I think you absolutely saw that. Um, they're they're a scary side when you see you know Kevin back on the back on the bench. You're just any team who's seeing them in the next few weeks. I think you're just a little bit a yeah, lot. Yeah, they've got that. They definitely got that about them. And it was an interesting game with Everton because Mike Vishalos um, had a really good chance before uh, Manchester City scored, and you get the sense of Everton had got that goal. It just might have changed things a little bit for Manchester City. You would think so, but I assume that Manchester City would just dominate the whole match as they did, mm. even if Richarlison scored the first goal. You always had the feeling that Manchester City were going to bounce back, especially after that humiliating defeat against mm. Chelsea last weekend. Um, I don't think Everton played terrible today. Oh, they're a decent team now, Marco Silva. They definitely seem to have a, more of a team bond than they did last season especially with all the transfers they had and everything. But you were always going to pick Manchester City to win today. Absolutely. And I talked about Gabriel Jesus. Important he gets goals if Aguero is rested, is injured, isn't playing. And I thought it, it was really um, interesting to hear the words of Pep Guardiola when he spoke about Gabriel Jesus after the game. How happy are you today for Gabriel Jesus? Well, I'm happy for first for his English. I think he he made his debut with you. He did. He did nice yeah, job. He did a job. That's good. I like that. I like that. I insist of them that they have to learn English. So he did well, and of course, as a guy who always assure you, 
his fight, his personality. He's a young player, has to improve many, many things. But today he's going, it's going well, very, very good for him for his, you know, his mood and his confidence to score these two goals was so important. But both were nice goals, so that's why big compliment from Gabriel. I'm so happy for him. I think we saw another side to Pep Guardiola today, not just the coach, we know the intensity and how much he wants to, to do well on the football pitch, but I think we saw almost like a parental side to, to the situation with Gabriel Jesus, where he's a young Brazilian, moved to a new country, doesn't speak the language, possibly living on his own, I believe his family are just joining him now, and, and he's had a few difficult months, hasn't scored goals, and... Get the opportunity, obviously, um, a special radio show today with no musty, no old musty, get some young blood in here. I'm just trying to think, uh, if I turn things on the head, Jen, if I was to say to you, there's a, new, there's a job with a huge uh, network in Brazil, I'm going to pay you 10 times your salary, you're going to go down there, but you don't speak Brazilian, how are you going to be in that environment? I don't think I'd talk to anybody for months, I just... I think I just... Well, you'd lose your confidence yeah. in talking, your network. So so how's yeah. that going to affect your work? I can't imagine I'd be doing too well. Not at all. And, I, and that's, it. that's exactly the point we're trying to say with Gabriel Jesus. Sometimes I think, Mike, people forget these are young people and he's playing football. And to play football well, to play at, at your highest level, you kind of have to feel good about yourself. You've got to have a network of friends. You've got to be able to talk to people when things are going wrong. For Gabriel Jesus... He probably, at times, has been quite lonely moving to Manchester City, despite the money, despite the fee, despite living in maybe a lovely home and all the rest. He's probably actually sometimes been unhappy with training, even maybe when he's played games. Yeah, you could sense sometimes when he misses easy chances, Mm. when he's on the bench, when he gets subbed out. He's frustrated. He wants to prove a point to his manager, top-class manager like Pep Guardiola. You always want to give your 100%. And... When he gets golden opportunities like he did today, I'm sure he wanted to make sure that Pep would choose him over mm. anyone else in the next few games. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when he first came to Manchester City, and I know I think coming in the, in the uh, transfer window, he was times was being played ahead of Aguero, and everyone was saying like Aguero, you know, maybe he's on his way out. I don't think that's been the case. I think we saw it at Chelsea last weekend how much you miss someone like Sergio Aguero in big games, who delivers goals, who plays in the central areas of the pitch. Um, but no, it's definitely an important day for, for, for um, Gabriel Jesus and him to get, get games back. Kevin De Bruyne came back on the pitch. I think if you're a City fan, you must be delighted to get him back on, back playing and back around the festive games. Yeah, you know what too, Robbie? Um, kind of going back with another guy coming mm. back is Aguero. And I wonder yeah. if that played an impact or had an impact on Jesus. He sees him back on the what, bench. A little bit of motivation. Yeah, or? Your, your spot's not safe or 100% safe, you know. Um, you possibly, know. possibly. I, I mean, I don't know if it's pressure. I don't know if, if it makes you motivate you a little bit more. I think he's motivated anyway in some special way. I think he just he wants to get a, a regular place in the team. He wants to get the confidence of his teammates. He wants to start scoring more goals. So I think all that helps. But, you know, someone like Aguero, it, you know, when he's fit, he's, it, more often than not, he's going to play. Um, and he's going to deliver you goals. I mean, I've said for, for, for many years, he, he's the outstanding centre-forward in the league and, and his goal record sort of proves that. But no, there's no doubt that competition for those places and having two strikers scoring goals, when you think of, of what City have got coming up in terms of cup competitions, Champions League when it kicks in, Premier League, um, still in the uh, League Cup as well, they still want to make sure that they're going for things. No, for sure. Um 
the the thing I wanted to get back to too. You mentioned it about Guardiola. Just mm. kind of he sort of took on a parental role there yeah. with Jesus, and it reminds me of um, a high school coach or maybe even a college coach. When you know, a lot of times when these college coaches come to families to recruit kids to play yeah. basketball or football here in the U.S., you know, they they're not only promising you know a future or, or looking after their children. Okay, um, yeah. on the on the field, but also what they do out off the field and mm. how they mature and how they grow. And um, it's just sort of interesting that Guardiola, he said, yeah. I, I encourage that. I encourage them to speak English. And and you could tell Jesus when he spoke English, it's still not 100 percent. obviously. Yeah, yeah. But he learning. but the fact that he's out there trying, mm. um, he was really proud to ha- you know have a great yeah. game. And he wanted to talk about it was was pretty telling. It was just it was just pretty cool to see how. Pep, how pr- you know how proud that made Pep, and I'm curious, you know, if you had, yeah, you know, a coach that was similar in that way that encouraged you to to do certain things off the field. I think it's interesting. I think it, there's a cultural difference as well, and you make a good point uh, about that. And maybe the college uh, system over in America, where where you are taking children all over the country, and you have to, um, you know, make sure people understand that you're aware of, of you know building good human beings as well as good sports people. It's different in English football, and I can say, growing up, there'd be, you know, you could count on one finger basically. The coaches who are really bothered about anything else than the football. It's just basically about if you win games, it's good. You get a pat on the back. Manager's happy. If you lose games, he's not happy with you. He probably shout in your face. You'll be running the next few days. It's very basic, black and white. And I and I go back actually a couple of seasons ago we were at Spurs at the training ground and we were talking to Deli Ali and we were saying like you know Pochettino's an impressive coach and and what's the thing that stands out for, for you with him and it was interesting that that Deli Ali said he his big thing is he wants to make me a better person wasn't a better footballer and I thought that was a really powerful thing for someone like Deli Ali to say who we know had maybe a bit more of a difficult upbringing uh, and the way he came into it professional football and eventually find his way to Spurs. But he said um, Pochettino talks to him about other things, about his life and what's happening and what he should be doing and what he should be thinking about and taking care of himself. And I think whether it's a generational thing or it's a cultural thing, but I think it's much more uh, common with um, coaches maybe non-English or non-British. The British coaches tend to have to uh, focus themselves on results, winning games, and, and making sure everything's okay like that. Okay. The, um, before we go to break, um, mm. do you want to have a quick word on Everton, what you thought of them today? And Yeah, I mean, I've seen ahead. Everton now. I saw them against Watford um, uh, on Monday, and then we see them again today, and play good football at times. They've, they've no doubt they're, they're a better team than, than they were under Sam Allardyce. But the thing that keeps happening with, with, with Everton of late, and I go back to the Merseyside Dobby, they're missing good chances at key moments of the game. If Richarlison takes that chance, it's different for a while. It puts a different pressure on Man City. If uh, Gomez scores a header in the, in the Merseyside Derby, that Allison comes up with a big save, it's a different game for Liverpool to, to have to deal with. And if they're going to break into the top six, and I think that's the ambition of, of, of Everton under Marco Silva, then you have to take your big moments. But I think or oh, if anything, it, it still tells me that Everton need a proper centre-forward down the middle of the pitch. Richarlison from, can play in there, but coming from wide, I think he's a threat. On the other side, you've got Bernard, and with the makeup of the midfield, Garner missing today, but Garner, Gomez and Sigerson in the hole, that's a decent three, and you get the back right, there's definitely opportunities for Everton, but um, I just think at times a centre-forward who plays central in the pitch and knits a game together for them, when they're losing possession... And Olivier Giroud type does a brilliant job of just knitting the game together and making sure the midfield stay intact with, with the front guys. And 
I think that's the next step for Marco Silva. Go and buy a top cl- top class centre forward, and I, I think we'll see a much better Everton. But disappointment for Everton. Another good day for for Manchester City, and they respond well to last weekend's first defeat in the Premier League and go back to the top of the table. Next, we'll turn our attention to the team that no one's talking about in the title race. Time to talk Tottenham. You're listening to Two Robbies Football Show. Well, actually, there's only one Robbie. Uh, on NBC Sports Radio, we'll be back in a tick. Okay, you can flip your brain switch back on. We're back. Welcome back to the Two Robbies Football Show on NBC Sports Radio. Now, we're always asking you, our listeners, what team you support and why. Well, we've got a Spurs fan in the house. Mike Dubbs, you're a supporter of Tottenham. How did this fandom start? There's one game that I watched in the 15-16 season that I just fell in love with Spurs. It was the North London Derby at White Hart Lane mm-hmm. when Harry Kane scored that curler. Okay. I just fell in <laughs> love with the team. I love the passion. I love the commitment. I love the togetherness. So if Arsenal had played well that day and Mesut Ozil would have bent one in, would, you be, would we be now sitting with an Arsenal fan? Probably not. Just throughout... The rest of the season, even though Spurs ended up finishing third below mm-hmm. Arsenal, it was just there were so many crazy matches during that season. Yeah, yeah. And it was a young side, Harry Kane winning the Golden Boot, mm. the um, the Chelsea match against Spurs where it ended two two. Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the <laughs> most crazy matches I've seen in my <laughs> life. And yeah, plus to go up. Yeah, absolutely, uh, plenty to go up. I just love Hun Ming Sun. And um, it's interesting because, it, it, you know, one moment can, can almost, like you say, attract you to a team, to a player, and, and, and it grows from there. And you must be delighted at the moment with Tottenham. Again, a 1-0 win against Burnley, a, a late goal uh, by Christian Eriksen. And the thing that stands out to me at Spurs of late or... I used to always think when, when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, when we get down to that real difficult time in, in games, sometimes Spurs go a bit missing. Sometimes Spurs don't stand up and realise these are the moments we've got to get through. I've got to say, certainly in the last few weeks, the amount of late goals, the amount of drive and determination to, to get things done, when we're talking Champions League or Premier League, where, you know, I mean, lost the first three games in Champions League, go on to, to qualify uh, and are in the draw on Monday. For the Premier League, some, some late goals, some difficult matches, but they found a way uh, to get it done, maybe apart from the North London derby recently. Do you not feel, feel there's a maturity about the, this this team now? Is, is there another level to the, to this team that we used to say, well, Spurs will just miss out, miss out oh, are they maybe serious contenders? Um, I wouldn't actually say they're contenders. I still have that feeling that sooner or later we're going to end up being the same old Spurs. Yeah? I and think... that's just from a Spurs fan. You don't, you don't think they, they've taken a step forward? Maybe collectively they, they, they feel like, you know, Deli Alley's a year younger. Christian Eriksen looks happy. Harry Kane signed a new contract. Goals coming from Lucas Moura's son. Lamella, it, it feels a bit different to me. I still think we're missing a few key players, especially against big matches where we had to start Kyle Walker Peters, who's a young talent. Mm. But I just I wasn't convinced when he was on the starting lineup against Barcelona in a must-win game. I think um, 
there's they definitely matured in games like the PSV intermatch where we could have drawn or lost. I think they've shown that they can win matches, big mm. matches when they're under pressure. There's always been that thing about Spurs where when they start feeling pressure, they lose their heads, they yeah, start yeah. becoming... Emotionally a little bit yeah. uncontrolled and things. And listen, it's a real de- delicate balance because I think one thing about Pochettino is he gives young players a chance to play and there isn't many big clubs that that's going to happen. I'm thinking of Juan Foyt, I'm thinking of Oliver Skip today, Harry Winks, Carl Walker-Peters. He, he, he trusts these young players, he gives them confidence and, and I think that's important. Going forward, Jen, I just wonder with Spurs, it's not the deepest squad. We know they didn't buy anybody in the summer. It'll be interesting if they do any uh, business in the January window. Suggestions are that, you know, it'd have to be the right player at the right price. So let's just say they, they, they go with what they have. Might it become down a priority, Champions League and Premier League? Or if there's a big Champions League game on a, on a Tuesday or Wednesday, do you think he goes strong on, on, on the weekend? I th- I said to Robbie Musto, I think top four is a priority for Spurs. Champions League football has to come in that new stage. And whenever they get in there, <laughs> next season, this season, in four seasons' times, we'll never know with it, with the stadium. But Champions League football is a must. Could they gamble and, and go in the Champions League competition? Absolutely. I think they I think they definitely could. You know, there's only 16 teams left. and 16 I, pretty good ones. Yeah. But I would say this might be one of the more open Champions League that yeah, we've seen, I think yeah. if there's going to be a year that a Premier League side's going to win, I think it could be this one. Um, I think they, should, I think they go for it, um, and wow. then yeah, personally, you would, you know, you would, you would a, go for it. I would. Um, question for you: Do you think the Tottenham's like new stadium bump, mm. wherever it comes, like a new manager bump? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that could be what they need to bring a trophy home in any of the four competitions that they're in? Absolutely. I, I think the whole thing is just going to be so positive. I mean, the stadium's stunning. I think the fans have kind of had enough, and I've got a few f- friends who are Spurs fans, have had enough of travelling to, to Wembley. It was a temporary home. It did its job. Now it's a bit like you're overstaying your welcome a little bit. They want to be in their, their own home. Um, and I think you're 100% right. If they can get in, in, that, in, that, um, in that stadium and give themselves a lift of, of cup competition. Listen, maybe there's they, 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 some glorious Champions League nights at stake for Spurs. I just They're probably doing enough as it, as, as it stands. I mean, they're only five points behind Man City, top of the table. You know, as, as the third best team, almost like guarantee a spot in the Champions League. And if they get themselves in that position, then they can really concentrate on Champions League if, if they um, go deep in it, Mike. I have a question for you. Okay, sir, fire away. You're Pochettino in the January transfer market. Yeah. Now, Daniel Levy allows you to sign one realistic signing. Who would it be? One realistic signing who I know. I'd go and get Marco Anatovic from West Ham. Short term, I think he does you a job. But I'm not uh, Mauricio Pochettino. And by the way, Daniel Levy doesn't give money away. But I'd say a little shout out for Spurs who kept getting the job done and must be considered part of the title race. Five points behind Manchester City. The Premier League's not just about the big six. We'll discuss the best of the rest when we get back. I'm Earl. There's no musto with the Two Robbies football show on NBC Sports Radio. This is the Two Robbies football show on NBC Sports Radio and NBCSportsRadio.com, where every day is game day. 
Welcome back to the Two Rubbish Football Show on NBC Sports Radio. So we said a little earlier, we're always interested to hear what team our listeners support and what's the reason that they support that team. Now, Premier League's not just about the the big six and we have a Bournemouth fan amongst us. It's not me, it's not Mike. I would assume, Jen, it has to be you. 60 feet, it's in seven though for your team. Is your bit of love falling off already, Hal? Never, absolutely never. Sir Eddie? I, I think like three of those defeats were City, United, and uh, who else? Be? Arsenal? A couple yeah. of the big teams. Yeah, you've yeah, played some big size. It's yeah. been a bit tough. But, but lost today to Wolves, yeah. that, that's got to hurt a little bit. And Newcastle in there, wasn't it? The other one that you yeah, lost to. Yeah, we should so. not have lost to Newcastle. But tell us why you are a supporter of Bournemouth. We saw, sure. Actually, I saw a few Bournemouth fans at the Fan Fest last week. Yeah, I was like, my people. All strange. My friends. Uh, when I started working here, they put me on a lot of Bournemouth games when I was first starting, like mm-hmm. logging, and I just, just fell in love with the way they played. It was their first season up in the Premier League, oh, okay. and I think during that time there was the stat that no team covered more distance on the pitch than oh, Bournemouth. Ran the entire further than yes. anybody else. So I really liked how Eddie Howe had them play. Like you know, we're not. We know we're not the best team on the pl- on the field. We're, mm-hmm. we're not. But if we're gonna outrun you and we're gonna mm-hmm. beat you to every ball, you can't you can't beat us. And I just really, like, I just loved how he fostered that spirit. And mm. then just the loyalty his players, you can feel, have for him. You know, he in our starting lineup today, we still have, like, seven starters who came up from... Came up from the lower yeah, leagues with him. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, Francis Cook, Daniels, and Frazier all came from League One with him mm. in 2012. So you just, you just feel like it's a family there. So here's an interesting point. And... Um, you're, you're a Bournemouth fan, so it'd be good for you to, to give me your, your reasoning. Can a manager be too loyal to some of the players who've come up? So he's built a relationship, they've come up together, they've had some good times, but is there a point when you get to, to the Premier League level that you have to start to build and maybe let some of those players go who have become good friends, who, who've become good servants for you? Is, is there, will Eddie Howe be ruthless enough if he has to be in moving people on, or or does he not feel like that uh, that's what's necessary? I feel like he. We're at a point almost where we might need to start looking at it. You look at the Liverpool game, and unfortunately, Steve Cook's performance. Mm-hmm. He's one of the guys who came up, been with him since 2012. But you know, you just get that feeling that maybe he's not performing at the level that we need to to compete with Mo Salah and to compete with some of those other teams that that we're trying to compete with here. Um, so I think. You know, we brought in Nathan Ake. We saw the yeah. weakness in our defense, but I think maybe we need to start looking at maybe at our center defense. And, and there's no doubt Eddie Howe's star is rising, and I think we all feel he's destined for a bigger job and no disrespect to Bournemouth and, and the club and what he's done there. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, he has these little runs, or Bournemouth have these little runs where, you know, they, they start a season well, then they dip off and come again, or vice versa. I think it's important for Eddie to show that he can coach his way through them situations. He can find another way. Callum Wilson's injury has been, been a key thing. I think, obviously, didn't play last week uh, against Liverpool, was on the bench, came on later today. Getting him back fit and firing up front, he's such an important part uh, of what the team do. I think it's eight Premier League goals already for this season for him, one for England. Confidence was flying. I think any team's going to miss a player like that. Also, I want to talk, Mike, a little bit about Wolves because I was doing my notes yesterday before the game and I said, in a strange way, Wolves want to become what Bournemouth have, get into the league, stay into the league, 
play good football, stick to your principles, which Nuno Espirito Santo is definitely going to do. He's not going to go away from his 3-4-3. He's going to play the football he wants to play. They've been on a little bit of a bad run, but um, I think that might be three straight wins or something now. It's taken to seventh in the league. Are they going to be the blueprint for teams that come up who can play a certain way and, and not have to be direct, not have to play sort of ugly football to survive? Oh, 100%. After the transfers they brought in during the summer, moving up from the championship to the Premier League, being seventh right now in mm. mid-December, but it's just everything every club par from the top six mm. would want to be. And when you look at, like... Fulham, who've spent over 100 mil in yeah, the transfer market, and now something. they're 20th right now. It's You have to say, Wolves are in a great position, and hopefully they could continue their run because they're, o- they're always going to have a few losses, a few games where people are going to... Yeah, this is a different league. Yeah. It's a different level of, of playing. You're 100% right. But as long as everyone sticks together, plays to the game plan plays with passion, tries to get the win, I think they'll do fine this I gotta, season. I've got to tell you, you, you talk about that, staying to, to the game plan and sticking to, to what they want to do and staying together. Uh, we met Nuno Espirito Santo early in the season, we had, just before the season kicked off, and such an impressive man, very um, dedicated to what he wanted to do with his team, dedicated to the way he wanted to play. Uh, attention to detail is obvious in terms of his training. And I think we're seeing that now on the pitch. And a Wolves team who I said on day one when I saw him play Everton, they will have no problem about staying in the league. And I think what we're all, not even at the halfway stage yet, and they're what, on 25 points. They always say 40 is the, the magic number. So uh, 15 points away from what we call safety. I think that'll be done pretty easy. Um, it wasn't just about Wolves and Bournemouth. We just want to have a look at uh, a few of the other fixtures today. Big game, uh, Craven Cottage today. Fulham versus West Ham. A West Ham team that come off three successive wins. A Fulham team that couldn't buy a win, hasn't kept a clean sheet all season. It conceded 40 goals before today. It's 42 now, having lost 2-0 to West Ham. And I've been a little bit disappointed, maybe is the best way to say it, in, in Fulham, that I thought Ranieri go in and we'd start to be seeing the, the labours of his work, working on defence, doing the, the hours on the training ground, but not much, not that much has changed. And it's great to have the dilly-ding, dilly-dong, and it's great to be Fulham in a lovely part of London in the cottage and all that. If they're not careful, they'll find themselves back in the championship. Absolutely, and I think, you know, with they have Mitrovic mm. up front, and I think you kind of look to him to yeah. kind of, bring the, the team forward the strength, yeah yeah but if you're like if you're Ranieri in January what's the first thing you're looking are you looking to bring someone in yeah I think you're looking at um this talk I've heard uh drink water from Chelsea who's, who's uh, Ranieri worked with him at Leicester maybe alone till the end of the season I think the loan system will be he knows Italian football he knows Spanish football he's been in French football he knows English, the English game. I think he's wily. I think he's well-known. He might bring a couple of bodies in. Because I was looking at his squad today, and I, Mawson's not the player that we saw at Swansea. He hasn't quite settled yet. Tim Ream's having a struggle. Adoy playing at full-back or centre-back, not quite up to it at the moment. The young kid, Sassignon, was injured. It's, it's a lot for him. There doesn't look that much stability around that back line. Callum Chambers is playing in a midfield role, not doing a bad job, but it's almost like you need him at the back. Uh, I just think he'll want a couple of strong characters. I mean, you've got to remember, he won a title with Robert Huth and Wes Morgan, two men 
who kicked the ball, who had the ball, who will kick the opposition striker if he has to. That ball's not going in the back of the net. And I think he might need a couple of those type of players to make sure everybody gets online. Because at the other end of the pitch, you're right. With Vieto, if he plays, with Sassignon, with Schürrle, with Mitrovic, with Kearney, they've got enough ability, Seri, to, to get goals. Um, but they've got to stop them going in the other end, or else I'm t- they'll, they'll be heading back to the championship pretty pretty quickly. Ra- you know, Rob, you know what's interesting with, with uh, Ranieri is when he first came to Leicester, everybody thought they were going to be in a relegation fight. Yeah. And that was the biggest question about him mm. because all the other clubs he had before that were never in that situation, and we weren't sure if he could handle it. And somehow he ended up, ended up in the most unique and craziest situations yeah. of probably sporting history with Leicester going all the way to win the title. And he didn't have to worry about battling yeah, for relegation. relegation. Mm. Fast forward to the season after that, he did, and that's what cost him his job when they, w- they did start to struggle. And he just seemed, you know, whatever had worked the season before didn't seem to work. Do you, do you think he can deal with a, a, a team in a relegation fight? Or does, I mean, he's, we've never really seen him no, in the situation before. We haven't, but he's an experienced coach. He's been around. He knows players. He knows management. He's really clever with the press. He, he, he's, he's somebody with all the tools that, that should be able to... And he's an Italian coach, away. An Italian coach, he's love a clean sheet. Um, so I expect the work on the pitch. I mean, the worry, I think, for him will be if he doesn't feel the players he's got can, can do what he wants them to do to get them out of trouble. That, that's a problem. He'll have training drills. He'll have meetings. He'll be doing the video work, all the things that need to do. But if on a Saturday, the players... Like, uh, do we get the wrong side of uh, uh, Philippe Anderson? Go to ground, don't make tackles, don't pick up uh, in the penalty box. It's going to cost you points and cost you games. No, for sure. Um, you know, I think the last thing we wanted to touch on before we go to break here is just Newcastle. Yeah. Um, just another big win on the road to Huddersfield. What are your thoughts on, on them moving forward? Um, a good day for Rafa. Uh, puts a bit of distance between them and Huddersfield. Um, I think there's six points difference now. I mean, listen... It's important for Newcastle to, to stay in the league. Rafa Benitez, I think, is, is a bit like Ranieri, can coach his way out, out of problems. Um, defensively, will get teams right. Solomon Rondon scoring goals is key to Newcastle, and it was an important goal for him today. They had another goal that uh, ruled offside for a Jose Perez that, that was on the borderline, looked to me like he was onside. Uh, I thought we were going to get another Rafa rant about VAR and that, but no, he got his three points, so he'd be happy enough tonight. And Again, I just feel with Newcastle, when I look at them, with what he's got, and his management, um, listen, he'd love a player or two in, in the, the January window. And we don't quite know what's happening with the football club, if he's going to be sold. Mike Ashley's going to put some money in. But certainly, um, I just think with Rafa Benitez, with his experience, his acumen, his understanding of this league, will do enough to make new, sure Newcastle stay in there. From Huddersfield's point of view, need to start scoring goals. I haven't got a striker who, who scores a goal. Solomon Rondon and Perez had one disallowed and scored a goal. Um, Huddersfield need to get Mounier and, and, and the likes, uh, Duplatrit, in and scoring some goals if they're going to have another season, the second season, in the Premier League. So that about wraps it up for today's action. Next, we've got a Super Sunday to look forward to, the small matter of Liverpool v Manchester United. Jurgen Klopp against Jose Mourinho. It's a clash of the titans, and we're getting stuck in right after the break. I'm the hardest working of the two Robbies on NBC Sports Radio, and I'll be back in a moment. We said we'd come back. And look at that. We're back. Would we ever let you down? Uh, the answer's no. We are NBC Sports Radio. Where every day is game day. 
Welcome back to the Two Robbies Football Show on NBC Sports Radio. Now, we have a huge game at Anfield tomorrow. Liverpool versus Manchester United. And as ever, Jose Mourinho's been hogging the headlines. He was asked if he needed more money to spend to reinforce his squad. And he responded with this analogy. Football team is a little bit like a house too. Uh, a house is not just about buying new furniture. You have to do work in the house and when the house is ready then you buy the furniture you spend money in the best possible furniture and then you are ready to live in an amazing house Jose, this Liverpool team feels very much like it's in the image of Jürgen who's been able to build it to look very much like him how far away is this United team from being in your image? Far what, Why is that? Far Jose Mourinho going into interior design? I can't quite work that analogy out with the house and the furniture and the... Listen, I think Jose always likes extra furniture. He'd go to, um, to a garage sale if, if he could, I think, to get people in. Um, huge game. Uh, Liverpool v Ma- Manchester United. It's a United team that's 16 points behind Liverpool before a ball's kicked, which just seems re- remarkable to me, uh, these two, two teams, the amount of money that Jose has already spent on his squad. And he goes to a Liverpool team. And I was kind of thinking about this, and I'd love to get your views. In terms of Liverpool right now, which Manchester United players would get into Liverpool's starting eleven? In David De Gea, I think, would push Alisson, maybe over the course of the season. I know Alisson's in maybe slightly better form and has come up with the big moments, but I think as a goalkeeper, I still, having seen what I've seen over the years, I would go David De Gea in goal. Outside of that, I'm starting to struggle. Uh, I'd personally, I Mat- like Mata. I'd, I'd maybe you could find a place for one Mata I, I instead of mm. instead of Mane, Firmino, mm. no, Salah. No. no. Okay, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm so it's tough. It, uh, ah, no one, no one. Anybody in the midfield break into United's midfield from from your point of view? Maybe Matic. Just, Matic, maybe just because, because he's, he's won the title. Yeah, size Chelsea. and experience. It's a good point, and and listen, one of the things I think about Liverpool for, from here on in is that ability-wise, I think, and talent-wise, I think there's no doubt this is the best squad that, that Liverpool have had. In terms of pressure, I think this cl- this team looked like they can handle the pressure. Big game uh, against Napoli in midweek, came through it, come through some big moments, haven't played quite at their maximum. They can that. My one fear for Liverpool is. Almost, and I'm calling it like the excitement levels that might grow around Anfield. We've we've seen over over the years, and they haven't won a title yet. How excited this crowd would be to win a title! How much it would mean to Liverpool to have their name on a title! We've got six months between now and the end of the season. I don't know. Will they be able to keep a lid on it as we go from here on in? You know, the other thing with with Mourinho is when he's actually been at his best with Manchester United is every time nobody mm. believes in them. Yeah. You go back to a couple of seasons ago when Chelsea was running away with the league. He goes and gets the win yeah. against Chelsea. It was meaningless, but he got the win. Mm. You go back to last season, Manchester City can clinch the title against them. They dominate the first half, and somehow Man United comes back and wins that game in the second half. Nobody believed that was going to happen. Mm. When you look at t- ahead to tomorrow, absolutely yeah. nobody believes that they can do this. Because yeah. That, yeah. What, did, what you just said about Marino. Liverpool. Yeah. Do you think that he can pull off one of those one-offs and, and find a way to, to do this. Absolutely. Jose Mourinho is the master of the one-off game. And I don't care what furniture he's got. If, if the legs are falling off his tables, he will find a way to barricade that goal 
and stink the place out if he needs to get a 1-0 win. So this isn't going to be easy. Liverpool might have to be patient and have to play with their speed and their intensity to make things, things happen. But something tells me Liverpool are going to do it this time. I just don't feel defensively uh, Manchester United where she'll be 26 goals conceded this season. They only conceded 28 all of last season. So defence not great. Attack, you're not too sure. I think Liverpool will get it done. But Great to have you two in, in here, and you, Hoy, from the, uh, from the mic as well. It's, it's just great to have some intelligent conversation in the seats opposite. Sadly, Mel Muckermusty is going to be back with us next week, which will be the last show we'll be doing on the radio live on a Saturday. But don't worry, as we'll be doing a weekly Two Robbies podcast each week instead. So make sure you subscribe to the Apple Podcast and download the show. And look out Monday for the podcast, reviewing Sunday's action of the big game at Anfield. Finally, thanks to all our friends at Culver City. But for me, it's good night from me and good night from... Good night. Good night. Good night. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 